Before we get into today's episode, we just want to thank everybody who continues to listen in. We hope everybody enjoyed episode 59 with Stevie Kidd. Now, here's a snippet of what to expect today. The special thing, I guess, about Special Forces is they're very, very good at the basic skills. And that's probably something similar that's seen across other elite levels, whether that's in sport or business, or whatever it is. It's people are getting very good at the the, the core foundational skills that, that make up whatever it is, um, that role that you're doing. We're excited to welcome former Special Forces soldier, Cy Jeffries, onto the Goldust podcast today. Cy was a member of the SBS, one of the world's elite military groups. Since leaving the military, Cy co-founded The Natural Edge, which combines elite military experience with cutting-edge neuroscience and psychology to help individuals remove limitations and forge peak performance. Cy, welcome to the Goldust podcast today. Thank you very much for having me on. Pleasure. Of course. Now, first question. To us, Goldust is about sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you? For me, the first thing that pops into my head is it's like the secret sauce. It's almost like the rocket fuel, that something extra special that you sprinkle on top of the, the the foundation to give it that extra boost. Yeah, I guess it's that that bit of rocket fuel, that boost, that those um those little gems that unlock big uh advantages, I guess is the best way to put it. Well Sai, you're a, a former military man. Can you share with us an overview of your life in the armed forces? Yes, so I joined the Royal Marines first, so Royal Marines Commando, went through basic training, completed that and served for a time at Forty Commando, so one of the main commando units. I then did undertook selection to be a special forces communicator, so essentially you're still a Royal Marine but if you pass the course, which is six months, I think it was, you are then either attached to the SBS or the SAS. So I went down to Paul and was attached to the SBS, uh, did that for a couple of years, and then I undertook uh, selection to become a member of the SBS, subsequently passed that and spent the rest of my career um, in that role. Overall, I did three tours of Afghan um, whilst I was in the military. Um, and then, yeah, various other training um, deployments and tasks. And then basically got to the point where I felt like I ticked all the boxes that I wanted to. Although I was wanted to join the military, I knew it probably wasn't something I'd do for my entire life. Um, and I got to the point where I felt like there was definitely some things that would have been interesting to do, but nothing that if I left, I would have regretted looking back. Um, so that's the point I decided to leave and look for some new challenges. And that actually was a major part in the decision. I felt like I wanted to um, find a different challenge or a new challenge to take on. Well, Sai, I think most people will be aware of it in terms of from a mili- from military branch standpoint, Special Forces, British Special Forces and SBS is one of, if not the elite in the world. Can you explain what actually makes Special Force soldiers so unique? I would say that it's, it's, it's mindset is a huge proportion of it. When you turn up for selection on day one, so for, on mine, for example, there's 220 guys, and those are people that have already been through arduous courses, and at the time that I did selection, had already done an operation, or most, 99% will have done tours of Afghan or Iraq. Um, so, you know, they've already gone through Royal Marines training or parachute training, which is arduous and hard in itself. So they're turning up with a base level of physical and mental resiliency anyway and yet you go through that course and by the end of it we had 17 people left so that's eight percent i think um, who passed the course and so if you filter out that there's some luck involved you know people twisting an ankle medical um, things happening it really comes down to the ability to endure 
extreme amounts of discomfort and hardship and also basic soldiering skills. So the special thing, I guess, about special forces is they're very, very good at the basic skills. And that's probably something similar that's seen across other elite levels, whether that's in sport or business or whatever it is, is people are get very good at the, the core foundational skills that, that make up whatever it is, um, that role that you're doing. And a big one that's tested in the military or tested on selection is how you are on the ranges. Um, so conducting drills, um, live fire on the ranges. So your situational awareness, your perception of the battlefield and able to make good decisions under pressure is something that's tested a lot, especially in the, the jungle phase of selection, which it's an incredibly hard environment to show, to soldier in anyway. So then when you put the pressure of um, live fire ranges and the pressure of being on selection on top of it, it's a really testing environment for your core basic soldiering um, soldiering skills. So when you mention the, that selection process size, it's tough. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt, we, we get certain programmes that you can view on the television now, which this show is a small snippet of what takes place, but obviously there's a lot more to it. And it's not something that we want to delve into, into the uh, into the specificity of it all. But, you know, you mentioned about situational awareness. Is that something that, is that an inherent skill or is that something that can be developed through training or is that something that somebody could be born with? I think so. It definitely can be trained. Like situation of awareness as well is something that you you can definitely train. Um, it's funny you see people take driving a car, and I can say the uh, my my girlfriend gets quite annoyed sometimes. You can see people. There's some funny clips on YouTube about guys who've done this, like how an ex-military person will look at the look when they're driving versus someone else, and you you notice everything and it's i guess the same in daily life you're just noticing everything picking up and it's just because it becomes habit you're just always constantly looking and, and taking in that information of what's going on around you and which helps you then plan for potential things if you've seen something 200 meters down the road instead of five meters when you're right on top of it then you've got so much more time to plan right if this happens this is what i'll do or whatever it is um it's quite a handy skill just for life anyway because you just you just got much more awareness um, of what's going on. I think with all this stuff, there is, you know, you talk about essentially what you're talking about there is growth and fixed mindset. Um, pretty much everyone, almost, we, can, we can all develop capabilities um, much more than we probably think we can. There are core personality traits that we're all born with that predispose us to different um ways of behaving and acting and thinking however in general most things are a skill and most things can be practiced and improved so there's that element of curiosity about what things take place during training uh, etc now we can develop that and when you mentioned about the uh, you training the mindset it's a mental aspect rather than the physical although there's a there is a big factor behind size and strength. But during the selection process, would it be fair to say that size is not necessarily, you don't have to be six foot four to be a special force operative? No, so there's definitely, you know, most of the people turn up will, yeah, I guess going through military training, generally people have that physical capability. You know, the fact of the matter is when you put 120 pounds on your back, like it just feels like it's ripping the shoulders off. There is, you have to be able to physically carry that that load and still function while you're doing it. Um, and that is is hard. So yes, there are, but no, it's not the defining character as in or trait. There are people in special forces that you'd look at and they don't even look like they go to the gym, just look like completely run-of-the-mill blokes. You'd never expect them to be in that job. I you know, loved fitness and training anyway, and I've strength trained my entire life. So that's something that I've just always enjoyed. And I do believe it definitely 
stood me in good stead. You know, I approached selection from a very scientific point of view. Now you get, there's some great coaches out there, coach uh, Mike Chadwick, Stoic Conditioning, you know, they do programs specifically around uh, military selection. I kind of broke it down and approached it as an athletic endeavor. Um, so, you know, my nutrition training I was doing, and I definitely am a strong believer in that strength and conditioning training is just great general life in the sense that just offsetting injury um, and going through that process all through the entire of my military I picked up very few injuries um, and I do put that down to basically yeah having trained since I was 16 years well before that but weights training since I was about 6 15 16 years old um, just for those strong bones ligaments connective tissues um, so you can definitely prepare yourself in that sense I think on the mindset uh, side of things to go back one of your early questions the the defining one of the big defining factors that i think is the commonality between say passing selection or getting to a you know that sort of elite success in business or athletics or whatever it is your core drive has to be it's all you can care about it has to be an obsession basically like nothing else matters apart from passing whatever it is because you have to you have to sacrifice so much to get through it that you just won't do it if you're not willing to make those sacrifices. Um, you know, I've seen the same in business. I'd say my journey through business has been harder than special forces. Um, you know, that's a six month course. Yeah, it's really intense, but you kind of do it, and you're either good enough or not by the end of it, or you quit, or you you don't make it through. Um, you know, business. You can be doing it for two years or 15 years and there's no guarantee at any point in it. And Jesus, do you sacrifice? You know, I went, just for example, I went from, so special forces, left, joined a well-paid job in a management consultancy in London, set out on the business path. Two years after that job in London, like spent all, it's between, so John and myself who run the natural, spent all of our money. In our mid-30s, we ended up living, both living back at my parents' paying ourselves 400 quid each a month, working from my mum's dining room table, sharing a car that cost less than that. But we were willing to make that sacrifice when everyone else around us, sort of our peer group is, you know, getting married and buying houses and going up the career ladder because we knew it was the right path. And so that was a sacrifice we were willing to make. And yeah, it's tough when you sort of go all the way back down to the bottom of the ladder. Um, and it's been, there's been so many moments like that on this sort of six year journey of building T and E. Um, and it's, it's really hard, really tough. I take my hat off to anyone who in business has, has found success, um, or is even giving it a go because it's so mentally, um, taxing and it is. So in that sense, you need, and the same special forces, you need such a strong core desire that no matter what happens, you're going to stay the course and stay on it. And if you don't have that, so going back to the selection example, if you're looking to do it for external reasons, um, you know, the kudos of the job, better kit, um, whatever it is, it, that's not strong enough. It gets so shit in those times, especially in the jungle, you just won't stick it. You need that really strong internal drive, almost that you want to do the course for the course of it in it, in its own sake. You know, for me, that was a big part of it. I wanted to see if I was good enough to get through that course. Um, you know, everything else on the other side was the bonus. But for me, it was a, a personal test to myself. And actually, my most satisfying moment wasn't the day that I got badged, because once you've sort of got through the jungle, generally you're then passed. It was on the helicopter flight out of the jungle and I was just sat there. Um, no one can speak because it's a really loud, loud helicopter. And you so see you're just in your own thoughts. And I just kind of had a little moment of flying over the jungle canopy of, you know, you did it. You got through. I didn't know at that point whether I'd passed or not, but I'd made it through the trees and I'd given everything that I could have done. So if I didn't pass, there really wasn't probably anything else that I could have done. And that, for me, was enough. And I think that's an important part, you know, for me, you know, when you're on the right path, when you have that, you don't need external praise or anything from anyone else. It's that moment with yourself where you're like, yeah, I did. I did good there. I did. I did what I set out to do. Um, and it sort of ties in as well with process. If whatever you are on track to doing, whether it's um, something in business or something in the military, whether it's something in sport, whatever it is, 
if you're always finding the process a struggle, if you're always having to fight and force yourself to take action, you're probably not on the right path. I, you know, I sacrificed a huge amount on that path to special forces. Um, I, my, I was best man at my best friend's wedding. Didn't make it to the ceremony because I was on a training package for the hills. Um, I made the evening do, but but not to the day. And there's numerous other bits like that, that you just sacrifice on on the build up to it. But to me, it wasn't sacrifice. Um, you know, we talk about balance a lot, but actually nobody's looking for balance. Everyone's looking for satisfaction. And so you have to work out what satisfaction work means for you. Um, and looking back on it, you know, I enjoyed the process of training for special forces as much as passing and doing the job. I enjoyed having that drive towards it and working towards it. And so, yeah, the key point is if, if you find, if you're finding things struggle the entire time and you have to enforce yourself to take action, um, then something there's a misalignment there between who you truly are, your true values and what you want to do in life. And you probably just haven't brought awareness to that. Um, and that is actually a huge part of mindset work. You have to truly know yourself before you can really work out how you want your life to look. Um, and then it's a case of trying to align those actions as much as possible. When there's that uh, distance, joint i can't think of the right word when it's disjointed between your sort of inner self and what you're doing that's when you start to really feel like life is a struggle and things just don't go well look you mentioned being in the jungle i'm sure a high pressured environment and i i have no doubt that there were several other environments that you've been through that were probably even even more high pressured than that and as people will be aware when you are in high pressure environments and there's stress involved or you put under the cosh that it then can become difficult to make informed decisions and decisions that are probably correct in the moment for you when in high pressure environments that may have been at times potentially life or death situations how do you develop the ability and how did you develop the ability to to balance the stress of the situation then enabling you to make those correct decisions. So the first thing is it's, it's stress inoculation. So it's progressive training. If you took anyone that off the street, or even say you've just gone into basic training and took them from there and put them into a war zone, it's going to go wrong. They're not going to deal with it well because it's too much. So Training yourself progressively is the way to get better and better at dealing with high pressure situations and discomfort, whatever it is. And that's all the military is, is a process of progressively training. You know, go through basic training and the exercises get longer, they get harder, the situations you get put on get progressively um, tougher. And then you go into your military career and the same again. So you just progressively uh, inoculating it's like inoculation the same as a vaccine works you're just building up your tolerance to it and we can do that you know take public speaking if you took someone and put them in an auditorium with a thousand people probably going to fall apart you know start with two people doing a five-minute presentation the theory applies to everything there are then other things um so sort of some general a couple of hacks or little tactics that you can use that help one is breathing. So the mind body connect, you know, mind and body, you can't separate them is something we talk about all the time. And what we do, you, you cannot separate the mind and body. What happens to the one affects the other. Breathing is the quickest and easiest way to tap into your autonomic nervous system. And your autonomic nervous system is basically connected to fight or flight. So when stress happens, um, you're activating your sympathetic nervous system. So that is, you know, fight or flight, what's, I need to do something, something's happening here, I'm revved up, um, tunnel vision, I need to, to act to save myself or prevent um, bad harm coming, uh, harm coming to me. The other side of the system is the parasympathetic system, which is your rest and digest, so that's you in um, recovery mode, basically, that's when you can make calm decisions, um, and it's, it's easier, you basically have greater awareness, or hopefully have greater awareness. It, deep breathing, deep sort of uh, D 
deep nasal breathing from your belly is the easiest way to tap into that parasympathetic nervous system. So when things start to get highly charged, whether that is something emotional, like you've had an argument um, with a partner or you've read something or someone's pulled out in front of you, because the thing is emotional incidents can trigger that system in the same as physical threats. It's a bit of a hangover from sort of evolution that we still have it and it's now causing a lot of problems in modern day life because what is happening is people get triggered by frustrations in their daily life and then it continues and they don't shut it off and that's when it becomes chronic stress which is really really bad for us so deep breathing when the situation happens literally just taking a few deep breaths um through your nose can give you that little bit of space to make a clearer decision and then be able to take it's what we call a military a tactical pause so if you imagine say a gunfight happens and perhaps when it first kicked off uh, guys are sort of in different positions all over the place the first thing that you'll do is guys will try and work uh, backwards or move forward so that everyone's roughly in a line and then you'll put down what's called a baseline rate of fire so a high rate of fire once you've done that, you sort of regained a bit of a foothold and hopefully control. And then the generally the patrol commander or whoever it is, um, leader of that team, will step back from that firefight and take an overall picture of the battlefield. Right, where are we? Where are the enemy? What escape routes have we got? Are we going to go forward? Are we going to go back? So try and make a more calculated decision um, with a great perspective applying that to real life you know something happens an argument whatever it is and again we get that tunnel vision we get sucked into the minutiae of what's happening in that moment instead of being able to take a breath step back it's like okay let me put this in perspective um what's caused this why am i thinking like this why am i getting so worked up why this why are they acting in this way let's bring some perspective to the situation a bit of logic um, and divorce emotion from it and then it's making a decision and acting um a lot of people get caught up in that perfectionist mindset of trying to look for the perfect solution to whatever's happening. A mantra that we use um, that we've kind of learned to use through our business life is, is 40% and go, which comes from is Reed Hoffman, who is the founder of LinkedIn. He basically said, if you launch something and it's better than 40%, you waited too long to launch it because you'll learn far more from putting it out there and gaining momentum and getting feedback on it. Um, but I think the same applies to just making decisions generally. Just 40% best guess with the information that you have at hand and then move, take action. Because once you're in motion, it's much easier to keep going. And also you'll get feedback. So you'll make that decision and then you'll get feedback, whether that was right or wrong or whatever. But being indecisive and just staying stuck in that pressure cooker and not making any decision at all will usually be far worse. You mentioned a little earlier, Sai, about your time in the military, the length of time you spent, you know, eight years, three tours of, uh, of being in a military bubble, uh, where you'll have experienced a vast array of life-threatening experiences and situations. Then you came out, you came out in the military, and you've just spoken very openly and equally, uh, you know, with detail around either attaching or detaching from, are you actually, if you like, encoded, decoded a situation that you've been in whilst either being fired out and then you can just take stock. So the breathing techniques, which are all up and all the, uh, you know, the, the, the bodies, it's linked through every single cell from foot to toe and, and every sinew. However, when we, when you first came out, you've been in these environments where it's been high stress, then you came out and then you transition back into, if you like, normal civilian life. Can you explain what it was like for you? Because I know you worked in the city and how you actually dealt with that and how you came through the, those experiences. Um, I'd actually say it's, the biggest reason I think why well, people struggle with transition. So in the, you know, the, the time in the military, say if you took it overall, that high stress stuff is probably 5%, 10%. The rest of it is a lot of boredom, a lot of hanging around. But what the military has, 
which you cannot replicate outside is it's not like a job. You're just going to hang around with your mates. You're just hanging around with your mates every day, which is, you know, just, which is brilliant. And it's so, that's what's so different when you come outside. When you're in the military and it is a bubble, the bubble's a good word to describe it. Everyone has, it attracts very similar types of personalities and that gets filtered even more because you go through the basic training selection process. So you end up with a lot of people that you get on with very well. Um, equally, it has its downsides. I'd say leaving the military, my mind opened up to so many more different avenues of thinking that I wouldn't have. Um, and that's something probably a separate point you know you talk about mental toughness and mindset and stuff it's like yeah i had a strong mindset but that's in a very narrow spectrum that's not broad spectrum so people who you know you get guys in the military special force whatever great at that job shit relationships stuff's falling apart at home stuff's falling apart in the rest of their lives doesn't make you a high functioning human as a general it just makes you high functioning in a very narrow field and that's the same in you know you can take athletes or business whatever it is it doesn't mean that generally you're high performing um so moving out i mean i was quite lucky i had i didn't join the military until i was 24 so i'd gone through university i traveled so i had a very strong social group outside of that and so the transition for me wasn't too bad um, all i really had was the fomo for the first year i probably had was sort of yeah fear of missing out on you know the jobs exciting stuff you, you know speak to people like oh no what's going on what jobs are happening and you quickly realize it's just the same old shit <laughs> nothing changes um and so and it's easy to look back on rose tinted you know you look back on your tours in afghan and stuff and you miss miss those things but then you forget about all the bullshit all the boring stuff and you're like, actually i'm glad <laughs> i'm glad i'm out um and i could never go back to not being in control of my time either that's one of the reasons i left is just being taking back control of i guess my life and time um because you are you're so busy you're like that world breaks relationships as broken marriages left right and center um because you are just away it puts so much pressure um on partners and families outside of it but i'll say yeah the, the transition the hardest part is it's just you can't recreate you know you go into an office and maybe you'll get on with one or two people but you know you've got diverse people from all different backgrounds and stuff you just can't create that environment where you you literally feel like you're going in and getting paid to hang around with your mates Catch to the ironic thing about the military, everyone thinks it's really hard. If you enjoy pushing yourself, um, you know, getting out and like being wet and cold and stuff, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but guys doing that because they, to a degree, they enjoy that stuff. They enjoy pushing their bodies and being in those environments and it's eventual, all the rest of it. So if you're good with that, military is the easiest job in the world. So easy. You're just hanging around with your mates and getting paid for it. It's And people don't realise that until you leave, just how easy it is. So, yes, okay, there's traumatic stuff that, you know, if you have traumatic events that have repercussions, that is a separate story. But if we remove that from the equation, easiest job in the world. Um, whereas when you come out, you realise you actually have to work for a living. So it's um, that that's what's tough is whenever you ask anyone what they miss about the military the common answer 99 percent of the time is, is the blokes it's the people um and i think i've spoken to people who were ex-professional athletes and especially in team sports again it's, it's a common theme um because you just can't recreate that camaraderie that bond um and just basically getting paid to do something that you love yeah i think the the part around with sports teams when you when you're in those groups and environments it's then hard to replicate it or find a replica of that outside of it you you generally can't do it and I think you have to yeah. adjust and adapt to what's next because it, it's yeah. very hard to come by but so for you is there any part of your military or civilian life where you've experienced imposter syndrome I have, but not in a negative sense. So it depends how you view it, because the imposter syndrome in my case was completely valid. So what I mean is when I joined that job in the consultancy in London, um, it was in within the construction industry. And I had no idea about anything in that industry. Basically, I did say at the time, I remember saying to the guy that hired me, my director, I was like, you do know, I don't know anything. He's like, yeah, it's fine. You know, we hire people for people and um, you can learn all the rest of it. But I did quite quickly realise that that job wasn't for me. And so I then 
made it an active process to work out what I actually wanted to do, um, which then became business and specifically online business, uh, kind of set the two rules of it, had to have create geographical freedom. So basically I just wanted to be able to work from my laptop uh, from anywhere and scalable, so not time for money. Um, and being a long process, but I basically set myself on that path. So I was putting all my energy and thinking into that. I was almost seeing that as my primary job and what I was doing. I mean, I, got, I don't know how I didn't get fired. What I was doing in the city is kind of like just, just paying the wages. So I go to these meetings in Covent Garden. I remember, you know, John, who I was doing, um, who I've been on this business path with the whole time. I'd be speaking to before. I'm like, oh, mate, I don't know. If, how am I not going to get fired today? So I sit in meetings. And I had no idea what, you know, engineers and stuff talking about things. And you just cuff it. You just sort of, cut, you know, no cuff too tough is the term in the military. So it was 100% imposter because my capability was not probably what people perceived it to be, or maybe they did know um, what it was. So, but I was kind of like fine with it because I knew that wasn't my path. And to be honest, I was in a state where like, if I get fired, I get fired, fine, I'll find another job. Um, and then just, cause I knew that the path, my true path um, was business. So imposter syndrome can be a funny one. Obviously it can be negative and we get people coming to us who have imposter syndrome. Um, and so it comes, it comes a lot around, self-belief but also accurate perception of yourself in the situation so humans are very good at holding on to negative stuff like negativity is like velcro and positivity is like teflon it just slides off us if you think about a day you've had you know you could have had a really good day done some good stuff at work whatever it is and then one thing will happen. Maybe someone puts, I don't know, a negative comment on a post you put on social media. Maybe, I don't know, you, you hear someone said something about you or it's something quite small, but whatever it is. And I guarantee you that's the thing that most people hold on to throughout that day. And they forget everything else happened and they'll hold on to that one negative thing. Um, and so a lot of mindset work is it's not about being overly negative because that's bad for us but it's also not about being overly positive if you're always like oh yeah everything's great and rose that's equally as damaging what you're looking for is as much as possible the true perception of the situation so okay actually i feel like an imposter but let's look at this what have i achieved i've got this job i've been given this job so someone they must see something in me potential in me you know actually list out whatever it is you know you what you've achieved the assets you know come back to the things put it the actual facts in front of yourself and then take the negative whatever the negative things that may happen it's like okay yeah but this happened for whatever it is so you're always trying to bring true perception so that's a way to overcome that imposter is to basically remind yourself of no actually these are the things i've achieved x y and z and try and understand where that belief of imposter syndrome is coming to from what's it linked to because it will be linked to a belief that you hold um again essentially that's what mindset work is it's understanding how you see the world and your beliefs because we all interpret situations differently um down to depending on you on our, each of our core beliefs you've stitched us up a bit here because i was <laughs> just about to ask a question about engineering and construction and now i'm I'm figuring you're probably not mate, the man for the job. Mate, ask away. You never know. Something might spark to may have picked up some little gems. <laughs> Are you after an extension built or you need an engineer? <laughs> yeah. So you speak quite candidly about mindset. That comes out a lot. Right from the get-go, you've been talking about the mind, uh, you know, everything that we do, it's connected, the breathing and so on and so forth. Now, Obviously, that's been born from your experiences, your tacit knowledge, uh, maybe education, people you've been attached to and been around, which helps to build up this portfolio of, of knowledge. Now, in 2017, yourself and you've mentioned him a couple of times, John co-founded your company called The Natural Edge, which T-N-E uh, and what that apparently does, it, it combines, I guess, you know, that elite military experience with cutting edge neuroscience, helping individuals replace, if you like, these disempowering belief systems. And uh, now you mentioned earlier in David's previous question or in your, your answer to David's question around people's perceptions 
would it be a fair assumption here, Si, where we're actually not, we're not liars. We tend to tell a lot of lies to ourselves. But to be able to get a true perspective of, of reality, we've got to be in an equal balance uh, state of mind. Otherwise, we tell lies. We're building up this story about what we're good at, what we're not possibly good at. And so how do we get into that balance? What does it take for us to get that, you know, you, you, you natural edge is obviously your company. What are you doing? How do you help somebody that's going through a little bit of a dip and take them on a journey so that they get more fulfillment, you're facilitating it. Take us on the story. What do you do? I love this. Great words there. Story, fulfillment, journey. It's all it's so pertinent to mindset. Um, the So, yeah, I, I guess I do link everything back to mindset because in a nutshell, it's the linchpin that affects everything else. So your mindset, it's, it's affecting, well, it's creating your thoughts and emotions. It's affecting, well, dictating your behaviours and your actions. So it doesn't matter whether you want to get a promotion at work, whether you want to improve your relationship, whether you want to focus more on something, whether you want to do workouts, whether you want to eat less crap food and lose weight, whatever it is, everything hinges on your mindset and yet nobody treats it like a skill so we treat physical training you know we know we need a structured program we know we need consistency we know we need um support perhaps um, or accountability to keep us on track and yet with mindset we don't do that and the analogy we always use is would you read a book on diet or watch a video on fitness and expect to change your physical appearance? Well, nobody would, you know, you have to take action to do those other things. And yet with mindset, we listen to an ad hoc podcast. Um, we do a bit of meditation here and there, you know, we try and overcome our negative thinking, whatever it is, it doesn't work. You need a consistent structured and systematic approach. And you actually have to take action. It's the only way to change your mindset. Um, so what we do with Tini, and you hit the nail on the head, so it's a huge amount is around perception. So if you think about uh, when anyone tries to make a change, for most people, they try and make that change at the end point. So at the point that the action actually takes place, i.e. I want to do a workout, so I'm going to force myself to work out. Um, I want to focus on my work more, so I'm going to force myself to sit down, not look at YouTube and focus, focus on my work. That requires... It's a very conscious process that requires a lot of force. It relies almost entirely on willpower and motivation, which are important attributes, but they're usually used in the wrong way and they're heavily relied on. Um, and inevitably, it doesn't work. It's why people fall into what we call boom-bust cycles. So like, yep, yeah, I'm going to start this plan and I'm going to stick to it and they do it for a week or two weeks and then they just fall off the wagon and they're back to square one. And it's like that. It's up, down, up, down throughout their lives. The sort of first step on the mindset journey is to understand that every action you take is driven by a thought or emotion. And so if you can get a handle on thoughts and emotions, then it makes it easy to change actions. However, the critical question is, where do your thoughts and emotions come from? And it's from your core beliefs. So how you see the world dictates the thoughts and emotions that are created and the actions you then take. So your beliefs are created through education uh, through your experiences in life so far through the environments um, that you've been in and evolution ties into it um, as well so you know good example comedian tells a joke half the room find it funny half the room don't um, uh, an event happens whatever it is i don't know a car crash or someone gets mugged People are asked what happened. Everyone's got a slightly different interpretation because it's their interpretation, their perception of what they've seen. Um, you know, why do the North and South of England have different views and stuff, completely different cultures? Same with US and Canada or the UK and France. Um, why are you conservative or liberal? Like all of this stuff is your core belief system. And the reason you have that is because the world's an incredibly complex place and you're thousands of bits of information coming at you all the time your story helps you navigate it um, it's why stereotypes are um, basically they're, they're quick ways to make a summary judgment of someone and sometimes that can be helpful and sometimes it can be harmful because you make assumptions you know I've used the picture before there's a, a girl in a bikini and a guy in a suit which one's a Harvard graduate your stereotype will tell you straight away it's the guy in the suit because you um, assume suit blah 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 which in some you know logically that can make sense however 
the point is it's not she's the harvard graduate so until you understand what your beliefs are like your core drivers it's really hard to then make changes that will then affect your actions so a huge part of the work that we do in the beginning in the first phase is self-awareness basically self-awareness of you and how you act the beliefs that you have you know why is it you get frustrated by certain things why do you distract yourself when you're trying to do certain tasks why don't you do the workouts when you plan that you do them once you start understanding what's behind the thoughts and emotions the actions you take then you can start to make changes the hard part of that process is you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and get uncomfortable looking at parts of your personality that you don't like like none of us really like shining a light of really what's going on inside but what we do is create a structured and supported process around that to make it something positive so that people see it as it's the first step to creating long-term change and when you're doing that journey with other people it makes it easier um, it is quite hard when, you, when you're just trying to go through it yourself so yeah perception like we said is a, is a huge part of it how do you see yourself and how do you see yourself in relation to the world and once you start really understanding that and who you are it opens up the possibilities to then um, start changing your life and aligning your actions with really who you are and how you want your life to look we just mentioned there about being uncomfortable so you'll be put in situations that are, that are uncomfortable there's a term that's commonly used nowadays about being comfortable being uncomfortable but to actively limit and then increase capability what is it we actually need to accept uh, you need to accept that discomfort is not going away so, uh, so a miss i think a misunderstanding of say men mental toughness or a strong mindset or whatever it is or people that are perceived um to be mentally tough they are not they're still feeling discomfort they're still feeling fear they are just far better at dealing with it um and we like to, to term it as embracing it embracing hardship embracing that discomfort so being able to sit with it you know an athlete or you know someone who can um, push themselves incredibly hard in a workout or whatever still feeling the same amount of discomfort and pain as someone else who's not at that level but they're just far better at dealing with it um, and the way you get to that place is that same as that stress inoculation you have to gradually expose yourself to that discomfort and instead of shying away from it go towards it um, so understanding yourself self-talk is is a big part of it funnily enough i've just written a post today to go out um, physical hardship is a really good way to get a handle on your internal self-talk so cold water immersion being one um, holding a plank is a really easy one holding a plank is such a simple move but as you know like i'm sure each of us know here it's just fucking horrible <laughs> like it just hurts <laughs> um and you know you can go longer but your mind just tells you to stop it's a really sort of good one where you tap into once you get to that point where your your mind's telling you to stop you know your body's got way longer that you can go for but it's it's how you manage that self-talk um it's actually just made me think about you know thinking back to the jungle there's definitely and in my military career a few points where you feel yourself on the edge and you can go either way like you're really pushing yourself to that limit and if you listen to that voice that tells you you've had enough and you can see it on people's faces when they when they do listen to that voice they rapidly then just kind of decline and just end up giving up. Whereas if you tell yourself in that moment, like, no, get a grip of yourself, you can do this. It changes your entire physiology and, and what you can actually do. And, you you know, we see it all the time in survival, extreme stories of people, either plane crashes or whatever it is, and they get stranded in the jungle or in the desert and they do these insane, you know, walk for miles with no food or water or whatever it is. You know, when people are really putting that life or death situation and it is your life or death in the balance, what the body can do is unbelievable. Um, and that's down to their just sheer force of, of will to get them through it. So on a kind of more daily level, like I said, you can by progressively inoculating to it. So on a physical sense, doing hard workouts now and again, um, you know, going out, doing something hard in the outdoors, 
exposing yourself to cold, whatever it is, doing it in controlled exposures. So you're not putting yourself too far into that risk and that danger category, but enough to push yourself on an emotional side. You know, it's, it's those conversations that you avoid with your partner or a friend or whatever it is. Um, but if you just start to have them maybe on slightly easier topics, then you can push into the more core ones. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And those conversations may still be uncomfortable, but you get better at sitting with it and actually having them. And usually the outcome is always far more positive than if you don't have it and avoid it. If you always try and avoid discomfort, then it's going to hit you anyway, but it's probably going to be far worse or come, you know, if you don't go through discomfort than that conversation, perhaps it's going to get so bad that relationship will end. Um, if you don't go through some discomfort in your health, you know, doing some kind of cardio work or strength or whatever, even if it doesn't have to be massively uncomfortable, but some, then you're going to have health problems that are going to come in. You're going to be in far more discomfort through maybe you pick up an injury, you trip and, pull pull a muscle or whatever it is um so always i guess keeping one foot in comfort but always looking to step into discomfort in different areas of our lives is very beneficial for us we're not built to stay in effortless discomfort and when we try which we're seeing in modern life now it has repercussions would that be a link to because you mentioned earlier a little bit around uh, stress and, uh, you know, the discomfort going down a cold immersion or holding a plank or putting yourself through some type of stress, all linked, effectively, it's linked to internal dialogue and that control because the body's linked through every cell, which has been mentioned previously. But what's the different side between acute stress and chronic stress? And how do we, how do we deal with it? Yeah, so acute stress is short and sharp. So it's from evolution. Um, it's perfectly natural and healthy as long as you reset after it. So if something threatening is happening. So in the past, it'd generally be a physical threat and you stress happens, release of um, adrenaline and uh, cortisol and hormones that are going to help you deal with that. Once it's passed, you then need to return back to that baseline so back into the parasympathetic side of things to rest and digest um there's a good actually parallel between so you know tours and afghan you'd have moments of acute stress but then outside of that you know you're back with your mates you're hanging out you're you're relaxing whatever it is so it's more in line with how we're naturally meant to be in normal life what happens is because you can still trigger that system through, like I said earlier, emotional things, someone cuts you up in a car, there's a post on social media, your partner pisses you off, someone at work does something to annoy you, whatever it is. If you're, you're constantly triggering that system, essentially what happens is it basically just stays on long-term, like a lower level of stress. You're just constantly hitting that system. And if you're not doing anything to offset that, so breath work, exercise, um, having really good sleep, all of the things that you know daily movement that make us healthy um, and that reduces clear stress from the body then it just builds up the other sort of key so on, on one set in one sense you can offset stress by healthy lifestyle choices um, exercise breathing correctly cold water immersions obviously become popular through Wim Hof um, so that's been shown through a lot of studies the ability of you to deal with stress of cold water then has a crossover to dealing with stress in other areas of life. Um, but the other key component is the mindset side. So basically 90% of the stress that we feel is down to our perception. So it's how you perceive an event. Um, again, you can use the example, why is it that something happens and one person gets really stressed out by it and one person just is able to deal with it in a calm, collected way? It's because of the way they perceive that situation and they perceive themselves. So the more you work on your mindset, um, the less stressed you become, essentially, because and no one's going to get to the point where we're perfect. You know, the end point, the ultimate goal would be nothing ever stresses you, nothing ever frustrates you. Um, and maybe if you're Buddha, you're like a Zen Buddhist monk who lives in Tibet, you might get to that point. But for everyone else, you're not going to do it. You know, even I've been doing mindset work and this kind of stuff for, actively for the sort of last five, five or six years. I still have points where 
I'll start to get frustrated or angry about something. But the power of training mindset as a skill, A, you recognize it far, far quicker. So you can almost recognize it immediately. And that's the first step. Even when you recognize it, it can still be hard to pull yourself out of it immediately. So you can still be feeling it. But at least you know what's going on, why it's happening. And you can pull yourself out of it faster than you would have otherwise. Because rather than just being in the emotion, you can actually step outside it and you can start to bring things in. Maybe it is a bit of breath work or whatever it is. And sometimes you try that breath work and it doesn't work immediately. You have to do a few things. Sometimes you just have to sit with it and sort of let it pass. But by having awareness around it, you can pull yourself out far quicker. And it also means it, it doesn't, you basically don't get stressed um, as much when it happens. Probably the best example is, I, let, let's say that um, generally you get really annoyed at road rage. People pull out and it really, really pisses you off. So in the beginning, someone pulls out, you slam your hand on the horn, you shout and scream at them, whatever it is. You then start to realise, okay, this isn't making me feel good. Um, it's stressing me out, et cetera. I want to change this. And so in the beginning, you have to really consciously try and override it. So someone pulls out in front of you and you really want to slam your hand on the horn. You really want to shout at them. And sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. And you flip between those two states. Um, but the more you practice it, the more you do it, you get better and better. It happens and you can restrain yourself more and more. And over time, what will happen is you'll get to the point where someone will pull out and it doesn't even occur to you to get angry because you're just like, it's fine, whatever it is. You know, there's loads of tactics for that. <laughs> An easy one is to stop and go, I have no idea what's going on in that person's life. Maybe they didn't see me. Maybe they're a doctor on call going something. Maybe this something's horrendous is happening. Like I'm just judging it from my own experience and not thinking at all about any of the external stuff. But generally, yeah, you get to the point where things that would have previously annoyed you or stressed you don't. And that's just a skill. It's not something people assume that I think, oh, that's fine. You know, that person's just calm. You know, I'm not them. It's it's bollocks. You can train it. It's a skill, um, but you have to consciously train it. You have to actively train it. It's not just going to happen. Um, and like I said, just sort of listen, even, you know, this, even just listen to our podcast, you can listen to what we've talked about unless you actually start training and practice it consistently. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change you. Um, so yeah, it's no different from physical training. So you've, when you reflect on your time in the military, what has been the greatest skill set that military life has taught you? Um, first thing that popped into my mind was the power of human connection. Um, and I think the reason I, that popped up straight away into my head is because it's really what a lot of the military is about. You, you, it is definitely about yourself and I guess testing yourself and going through those situations, but it's so much about the people around you. Um, you know, selection tests you as an individual, but you will not pass that course if you do not bond with your patrol. You, there's no way you'll pass it because you just can't. You, you have to work as that team and you pull each other through. Um, and then the same when you're out in Afghan or in ops. No, I think the exception to this may be I've met some Americans and again, sort of cultural thing who are much more, you know, it's about the flag and for the country. Definitely in the UK, I've never met anyone that's done anything in the military for political reasons or for moral reasons. You do it for the people next to you. It's as simple as that. Um, it's for the, the people to your left and right. And, and so I think just generally human connection, you know, what you can get through when you've got people around you, um, you know, the power of humor in the face of adversity and that bond that you form when you've got that really powerful bond, that partnership, whether that's, you know, your partner, your um, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, your friendship groups, um, the people you work with, the stronger those bonds are, the, the better the outcomes that you'll get and the happier more fulfilled that you'll be in life um you know you talked about you mentioned fulfillment um earlier there's a good book that's a, it basically is written by someone who's in palliative care so people on their deathbeds and when they look back it's always the experiences that they had and the relationships with people that they 
have the fondest memories and that rings true for I think most of us it's you know it's nice to do nice things and have certain stuff but really where does where does true fulfillment enjoyment come from it's, it's shared experiences it's the relationships that we have um, so yeah I think it is the power of the human I guess that yeah humans as general our relationships with each other and I guess what we're capable of when we put our minds to it which can be a bad you know that can go both ways obviously the atrocities you see at war but also the good stuff that people do as well so if you had to explain who you are and what you stand for what, what would you say about yourself <laughs> well you've gone deep now <laughs> you've gone really deep um yeah that is a really good question that's probably one to reflect on deeply um in the, do you mean in the sense of like purpose in life, how I see my purpose in life or what I value? Um, yeah, look, I think you've got to know who you are. For you yeah. to know, for you now to be working in the corporate arena, working with individuals, I think you've got to have, a, you've got to have an identity. You've got to understand what you stand for. And so if you yeah. want to look at it from a, a business context, that's fine. If you then want to look at it and then flush it out and go, well, who do you, what, do you, what do you stand for in life? That's quite a, it's quite big and it's quite global. So yeah, what do you stand for? Yeah. So in, 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 a, in the context of T&E, which is a huge part of my identity because I'm passionate about it, it, it is helping people see that ch- that change is possible. Like I said, that it is a skill. It's not something that, people have or don't so you know helping someone overcome when they've struggled with anxiety or um, imposter syndrome or lack of self-belief or whatever it is it's incredibly fulfilling to see that change in people um and I, I think probably the most powerful ones I had we ran a program last year that was specifically around stress which was a 30-day challenge and I had we ran some live events around it and I had three people in person and about four people over email directly come up and say that essentially they're on the point of taking their lives. Um, and that program was a turning point for them, which is, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just so powerful to, to hear that. Um, and really humbling, you know, we only, we create what we think, will help people but people have to take the steps you know it's always them that that take the action um so i think change definitely helping people see that there is a different reality and a different future and helping them take the steps before it um on the t and e side of things i think for me as a person i've i've definitely changed a lot i think when i was in the military i had much more of a mindset of you kind of are who you are and um, you know why just do it I, I don't understand like I can do this why can't you do that and leaving that and especially working with people and coaching going through sort of a journey myself where I suffered from some of that stuff you really start to see that it's just not the case at all so much of life is a mix of random chance compounded by the experience we have um, to to as to who we end up we are you know in a sense, I won the sort of genetic or postcode lottery. You know, I was born a white male into a middle-class family in the Western world. You know, if you're born in the Western world for a start, you're already in the top 3% of the world. Um, and that's just random. It's luck. And, and people, I think, miss that so often. But yeah, obviously, them working hard on top of it and all the rest of it has helped get to where I am. But just, I think, empathy for others or understanding, you know, stepping back and going, not... Uh, projecting how I see the world and someone else like you know real I know my ex worked when I was in London she was a school nurse and she used to come home and some of the stories of the kids like you know what they were born into the and the stuff they were going through geez I don't know how she did that job I don't think I could I could do it and it just makes you realize um you know so much of who you are is is shaped by that I guess stuff out of your control in the beginning, the, the circumstances that you're born into. Uh, so I think in general, 
trying to make the world or yeah a bit of a better place by helping people just to have a bit more of that sort of open perspective um empathy with other people have conversations I, I think we've got to a place in time in society where people take really entrenched positions we get into our echo chambers on social media whatever it is and we just see information that always feeds our own beliefs instead of actively looking for something i always think a good thing to do is if if you believe something try and disprove it you know actively look to disprove um whatever it is i think it's good to have strong convictions about things but if new information comes to light that disproves what you're thinking then you should be able to turn on a on a sixpence um and accept that new information and when, when you can't you know it causes problems and we see it see it all the time it's really divisive um sort of fractions starting to happen so yeah i've gone off and we could we could go down that rabbit hole and lots of things for a bit but well listen i've got i'll get another question here in terms of curiosity uh what's your greatest curiosity around working with teams or maybe a preference to be honest because you've you've worked in small units little regiments small numbers because i have a i have a saying really and i I sort of just throw an I throw an angry grenade in there where I don't believe I don't believe teams exist. Now, I know we call teams teams. You know, it could be a Premier League team, a, a business team, but I, and how they function and how effective and efficient they are. I don't I don't think we're as efficient and effective. But that's another story. But what's your preference? Would you prefer to work more with individuals, smaller teams, or do you work in big groups? uh i it depends on so when i'm coaching it doesn't really so i'm going to answer this in two different parts if i'm coaching people to make changes um i i like both settings so we've got i do one-to-one coaching and we have a group course and to be honest they they're sats or fulfilling in, in different ways you know it's great working with someone closely because you really get to know them but then on the group ones when we have group calls it's really great people having different perspectives and that environment where you're feeding off each other. So in that sense, I don't, I, I find benefits from both from a say personal level. So say when I was in the military or say, if I'm going to go, I want to do something hard like mountaineering or out, outside, then I prefer smaller, smaller teams, you know, like a couple of us or a group of four or whatever it is and people that are all, when you have that, you know, going through the military and going getting to special forces, what that does is weeds out people along the process. And so you get to the point in special forces, you know, that environment is, I guess, same as elite sport. It's very unforgiving in the sense that, I guess, highly competitive and you just expect it to do your job and you just get on with it and do with it. There's, there's very little, you know, there's no handholding in that environment and you either thrive off that or you hate it. And I, I love that, you know, so if you've got, if got people around me that like that, that's an amazing, you know, it feels, I think about now, you know, out in Afghan going on jobs and doing that, you can't recreate that feeling. It's, I imagine it's the same as stepping on a pitch for, you know, big league games or whatever it is, you know, that feeling of just being a part of people that are all driven towards that goal and knowing like when things just click and that flow from yourself, that flow state and, and others around you, it's such a powerful feeling. You just, again, you can't really recreate out, outside of those environments. Um, but yeah, that's, which is an amazing, amazing feeling. I have to dig in. I have to pick your brain more on the teams thing. I'd love to hear more about that and digging into it. That sounds fascinating. Sai, final question from us. Obviously you've, you've spoke about TNE and what it is you do. So, from that side of it, if anyone wants to reach out to you, how can you be contacted? So, yeah, the easiest way, well, social media is just the natural edge. So Instagram and um, Facebook and just start a Twitter account. I think I've got all of two followers. Um, and a couple of the places, basically the natural edge on social media or just um, go to our website, thenaturaledge.com. Um, or if, you know, if anyone wants to drop me a message, feel free to, they can do it through DM on Instagram or just an email, simon at the natural um, Always great to hear from um, people, feedback and, and, or if they want help with anything. 
Si, listen, thank you, Matt. That was very informative. I really appreciate it. We appreciate both David, myself, and all the listeners. I'm sure there have been some real nuggets of information that they can take away and uh, use in their own life as well. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me on. Pleasure. Um, some uh, really good questions there. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.